Hello and welcome back to yet another edition of the Holtcast. This episode will be more of a housekeeping edition of the Holtcast as we look at all the latest Aston Villa uh, news and related to transfer, new away kit, of course, um, a couple new signings that one has, of course, one has happened and another one that looks to be happening uh, for the Youth Academy itself. Of course, it's Cole Petham here, but I'm not alone. I'm here with my good friend, Neil Dunworth. Neil, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, Cole. Yeah, it seems to be a bit quiet on the, um, on, uh, on, on the front, I suppose, really, uh, across across all sports, really, at the moment. But uh, we're getting there. You can see the chinks of light of the new season coming through. And uh, hopefully this is going to be a very fruitful coming week within the transfer market and so on. But as of yet, uh, you know, still hopeful that there's going to be some news, I think, for us to really get our teeth stuck into over the coming days. I really hope so, not just for the news aspect of it, for us to make content, but the other aspect of like going on Twitter right now is just something I really don't want to do. Just anytime the Villa account tweets something, you just see about 100 million people that it feels like are tweeting at them saying, when's the transfer happening? When's this happening? When's that mm-hmm. happening? That drives me nuts, so hopefully <laughs> that happens soon, because I don't know how many Mondays in a row now, Neil, I've logged on to Twitter, and it's been like, could this be the week? <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's driving me insane. But nonetheless, let's get on to the uh, first matter um, of this episode, which would be the 2020-2021 uh, um, away kit for Villa, of course. That was released last Friday. We're recording this on the Monday, August 24th. Um, if I was going to explain it very briefly, because some people love it, some people hate it, some people like certain aspects and hate other aspects and on and on and on. But it's basically a black away kit with uh, Claret stripes and the logo, the sponsor logo, the Kappa logo are, of course, blue. We have a predominantly uh, blue neck with a little bit of Claret to finish off the top of it. And in my opinion, probably what everyone hates about it from what I've seen, uh, the sleeves look like they're probably from a long sleeve shirt that was somehow rolled up. Um, the best way to describe it because they are crazily long um, and look a little bit awkward but uh, that's kind of the description of it but Neil I'll shoot over to you next how do you feel about the kit? I think it's okay yeah, I don't have any I'm not overly negative about it there's some people that lose their lives over uh, over away kits over home kits and so on as long as it's not egregiously you know disgusting to look at um, it's fine I, I'm not too like I, I, I don't I really care about the length of the le- length of the of the sleeves. I don't think it's it's too um it's too noticeably long. It's yeah, when you're looking at the at the photographs of it and you're looking at the release of it, 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 it does look a small bit long there, but then when you see it on the actual players, I think it looks okay. I think it looks proportionately right from that point of view. Um it's you know, they they didn't go out in a limb with with anything in the in the colouring of the, the, the shirt itself. Uh, the the thin claret pinstripes on it. I'm not a fan of pinstripes uh, normally, but it's nice and subtle and uh, it fits in with the shirt. And um, I think that the colouring, the lettering, the uh, colouring of the lettering as well is it's quite nice in that in, in that blue colour. So for me, it's, you know, it's overall, it's probably about a seven and a half out of ten. You know, they didn't, didn't go too outrageous with it. And it kind of ticks all the boxes for me as just being an, an okay shirt. And that's really it. You know, it's not, it's, it's not going to blow me away. Yeah, I think it's one of those things. I mean, every when it comes to kits, like sometimes they're not always modeled by the players right away. 
So I think it just kind of takes like a lopsided view. Um, but once you see like Grealish and a few others put it on, everyone's okay with it. It's just kind of funny how that works. Um, and everyone somehow turns into a fashion designer and makes little critiques here and there, which is uh, funnily enough, because uh, I would imagine, I think some of us that are, well, some of the people listening can admit that some of us probably don't have the greatest fashion sense at times. So um, I, I don't mind the kit. It's it's not amazing. It's not incredibly poor. I can think of a number of kits we've had in the past that I definitely did not like. But I'd say this is pretty well in the middle. So you know what, Neil? I'll stick with you. I'll go about like a 7.5 out of 10 as well. It's, it's pretty simple. It's pretty sleek, though, I think. Keeping with the whole uh, kind of black look with the pinstripes, it makes it look sleek and uh, simple enough. And you know what? If we have a third kit, I'm sure they'll, which there's been rumors of, and it's kind of looks like a little bit of like an army gesture or whatever with camo. Um, if that's actually true, then maybe they'll go a little adventurous there. But uh, at the end of the day, it's a kit. And that's all we can really say about that. But let's move on to the next thing, because uh, Aston Villa have been very busy uh, when it comes to youth recruitment. Uh, For years and years, the club have been known um, to be one of the best clubs in England at uh, producing youth. And for a number of years now, that's been something that they've definitely been lacking. Just not enough players making it. first team of course Grealish basically being uh, the exception to many uh, but of course last week it broke that we signed uh, Exeter young player uh, Ben Krizine or Trezine I can't even pronounce his last name <laughs> I butcher everything uh, but right. we signed him and uh, 16 year old a place for the under 16 um, youth team there um, seems to be a highly touted prospect he apparently had a, a call from Frank Lampard at Chelsea to join he was offered uh, Champions League tickets by Jurgen Klopp so uh, obviously your traditional top six sides kind of getting in there to uh, get their mark in there and get their man but Villa somehow uh, convince him and I'm ecstatic about this one because it's hard to kind of read into a player Neil when they're so young but at the same time and I'll kind of get on to this uh, to you now it, it's just another step in my opinion that Villa are going in the right direction uh, you know you can't ever underestimate what having your own conveyor belt of youth players uh, will do for a club uh, you see you see Chelsea or and and I don't want to really use Chelsea as a as the I suppose the standard bearer for this because of how long it took uh, how long it took them to actually become uh, almost self-sufficient in their own player creation themselves. But at the moment, you can see that Chelsea had their transfer embargo last year. Yes, they are spending money at the moment. Reportedly, on Havertz and uh, and Timo Werner and, and so on, whoever else they've purchased this year. But they have players coming through that will be able to. You know, even if they don't make a grade, they'll be able to sell them off and um, fund these purchases like Callum Hudson and Adai, um, Ruben Loftus Cheek, and so on. Uh, and when we talk about Chelsea as well, you see that they've got they had a lot of players out on loan, and one of them being Ethan Ampadu, who obviously came from um, Exeter as well. And uh, Ben um, Ben Crisene or whatever I can't pronounce his name either. Um, <laughs> he like he he broke uh, Ethan Ampadu's. Uh, record of being the youngest player ever to play for uh, for Exeter. So there seems to be a little conveyor belt themselves down, down there in Exeter, and the Grecians down there seem to have uh, um, have a knack for for trusting young players that come through. Uh, you mentioned that obviously Jurgen Klopp was was uh, well in there, and he was trying to trying to recruit him to to their uh, academy, and obviously Frank Lampard, but he chose Aston Villa, 
And this has been a big, big piece for Christian Perslow. Christian Perslow has made no secret of the fact that this is something that he's been aggressive about, obviously bringing in Mark Harrison and making sure that the, that the academy was, uh, was restructured from the bottom up as well. Um, it's, it's, it's exciting. It's exciting to be linked with these players, these players that are thought to have a, a good future and we would bring them into the, into the academy and hopefully we can nurture them through the system and have them come through to be prolific players for Aston Villa in the future as well. But, but, but uh, you know, it's it's a minimal signing. The way we were, we were very uh, highly uh, praised by the Exeter management as well in uh, in the, so, much, so much as we went through the right channels that uh, we actually ended up paying over what the calculated fee was for, um, that would have been given down through compensation through maybe a court in uh, the, the courts and so on like that um, for the training fund for this player as well. So we paid over the odds for that. And, um, you know, we seem to have con- conducted ourselves in, in in a very high manner as well when actually being upfront and honest with the club and the player and his representatives with regards to, to you know, what we were willing to offer uh, for a young player as well, which maybe not all, doesn't happen all that too often as well. So not only from the point of view of getting a highly promising upcoming player, also creating nice relationships and being seen as having nice relationships or doing things the right way and transfer dealings as well never hurts to, to, to be viewed in that light also as we as we go water business for the rest of the offseason. Yeah, 100%. I, like, that's a perfect point to bring up about how we've kind of dealt with this. And um, actually, Neil, I think I tweeted you this last week. I think it's just a brilliant aspect of it, how we're dealing with clubs. Because, like, not only are we feeding the English football chain going down, like, that allows them to, of course, improve things on their end, which in terms of if they have another prospect we want, that we could be one of the first in line with that as well. Um, Exeter have produced a number of good players. You look at what Ollie Watkins, uh, Matt Grimes from Swansea. Yeah. Um, so I, I think for us, that's great. In the public image as well, I think a lot of other clubs can kind of take solace and comfort in the fact that, okay, if you're dealing with Villa for especially a a youth player, because it it is a big deal for not only the club, but for these families, Uh, it could be the first time they're leaving home. This could be the biggest move of their lives per se. Um, And maybe even just, for example, a few of these players that could move on even after Villa, because that's kind of the thing that a lot of the our cl- clubs around us are doing now, uh, building to move on um, to sell them for 40 to 50 odd million. Um, it kind of gives those families comfort as well to know that their child is being dealt with in a professional and safe manner. And I think that's the most important thing above all. But uh, we'll move on to the next one, which uh, it looks to be done. Uh, if you actually go on uh, this uh, youngster's uh Instagram, I believe someone had it on Twitter. It looks like he's actually in Birmingham today. That's no breaking news. A bunch of people have been tweeting it. And that's uh, Norwich's uh, Ruben Shackpoke, the player that apparently scored, uh, I think it was like 11 goals against Watford U15s. Um, I, I don't know how true that is. I can't really find any stats on it besides people tweeting about it. Um, so take with that uh, what you will. But uh, nonetheless, a good forward signing, another addition um, to the youth academy and we're building from here and uh, Neil I'll come to you next because I want to get your thoughts on this because we both look at Villa Twitter and I can imagine we both get a little annoyed with the amount of people complaining about no uh, big signings and stuff like that but these are big signings in my opinion because as much as you want the here and now 
we have to focus on the future as well. And for as long as I can remember, Villa have been so focused on just surviving in the Premier League and just taking that for what it is. But investing in the youth is investing in our future and investing in our future can put us beyond even worrying about the Premier League, can be pushing us back towards the glory days of trying to get within just maybe the top six, the top four, whatever it may be. It's something to build on, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on that because really, how do you feel when it comes to Villa making all these signings? And I think, where do you think this leaves us going into the next few seasons? I, you can't make enough of these signings for me. Uh, yeah, they're not going to turn the needle, as I say, uh, immediately. But uh, being the, like you see it with Liverpool at the moment, the, the, the team that Liverpool uh, trotted out against us in the, in the League Cup, um, that team that they have played more or less throughout the whole lot of the League Cup, full of youngsters, vibrant, um, energetic young players, getting a name for being a team that, that produces players and that, that uh, I suppose, gets the most out of their young players can only be good. We had that name before. We wanted that. That was John Gregory's modus operandi. That really was his modus operandi. And, and you know, if you can become a, a breeding ground to the by producing more Jack Grealishes. And I know we come back to Jack Grealish quite a lot because in recent years he's the only player that we've really produced. But you're not you're not going to you're not going to be able to step in to 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 the Premier League stratosphere, I suppose, really, and blow some teams out of the water from a transfer fee point of view. Going back to what you said at the start of the podcast, that certain some people are, are very annoyed that there hasn't been a signing yet. And there hasn't been really that many signings throughout the whole lot of the league yet. And I think what it is is that the pool of players that people are picking from trying to sign players from is very small. So it's, uh, you know, there's there's trepidation with regards to COVID-19. So if you can kind of uh, take the, the, I suppose, the pool of players uh, and, and kind of dictate it on your terms by getting them in when they're younger, bringing them up through the system and allowing them then to flourish in the first team, that's, that's how you're going to, narrow the gap between ourselves and the Man City. We we can't compete financially with a Man City. We can't compete financially with Liverpool. We can't compete financially with a, with a United. We can't even. We probably wouldn't even be able to compete financially with a Wolves or a, or a Leicester. And we wouldn't be able to offer them the same potential, um, you know, opportunities that players would. Maybe in one or two years' team time, yes, we would be able to to operate on the level of maybe a, a Wolves or a Leicester. But at the moment, we can't. So at the moment, what we need to do is find the market inefficiencies, get, player in, in young, get players in younger and grow them through the basis of this club so that even if they, even if they don't fully work out, we are making, uh, it, we're kind of almost becoming self-sufficient from a money-making point of view. You can always sell those players on. And if they do hit and they do end up playing in our team and you get two or three of them through in, in your team at the same time, that could save you hundreds of millions in transfer fees as well later down the line. So... For me, you can't take enough chances and enough shots on young players. If you can get these young players that have been uh, maybe singled out as being highly uh, high-profile and um, you know have a big future in the game, well, why not go for them when they're 15, 14, 15, 16 and see what happens? Because the money is minimal and you don't really lose out on anything by doing that. Yeah, exactly. It, it's kind of a, a, especially for Premier League sides, it's a low-risk gamble because if it pays off, and you have to sell them eventually because they want to move on or for whatever reasons, if the club somehow somehow in a financial mess again and you can sell one of these players for, say, 40-odd million, that makes all the difference. And I think it's kind of the way that Villa has to be going forward. There's just 
there's not enough clubs that really do this. There's some that do it very well. There's some that try to do it and they just can't. And we won't know for a few seasons um, if Villa, where kind of Villa fall within that spectrum. But nonetheless, another good move. But uh, you know what, Neil, let's get on to uh, the first team because there's been a lot of rumors about uh, more comings and goings. Uh, but we'll go to the first, well, basically the only going that I've kind of seen lately, and that being James Bree. According to uh, Football Insider, uh, he's in advanced talks uh, with uh, Luton to join on a permanent deal. An unfortunate one with him. Uh, he kind of came with a lot of hype when we were still in the championship and just it never worked out. I don't know if it was a quality issue or what it was with him, but it's unfortunate that the degree of where we needed him to be at just could not be met. So what are your thoughts on James Bree and are you kind of happy to see the back of him? I'm not really happy to see the back of him as such because he didn't really, he wasn't a player that ever kind of kicked up his heels and caused the fuss at Villa. They're usually the only players that I'd be happy. Like Ross McCormack, obviously, everybody ha- was happy to see him go. Um, uh, Mike Richards, everybody was happy to see him go. But James Bree wasn't as such. James Bree is your stereotypical guy who got caught in between the turmoil of uh, ownership and managers and Aston Villa trying to find their footing again after being in limbo from you know financial point of view and so on. He was bought with, with the mind of him being maybe the next John Stones. I think that might have actually even been thrown out about him at the time. Um, he was bought with that kind of my, that, that view in mind. And it never really transpired. And I think it never really transpired because, um, because as I say, he fell between the cracks with managers, with ownership and so on. Um, don't, like, to be honest with you, he didn't play too many games for Villa. He was some... One, some managers thought he was going to be a wing-back. Some managers thought he was going to be just a right-back. And some managers wanted to try him in the centre. Uh, there was also talks as well that he would be tried a defensive midfielder. So he's gone to Luton last year and he's got an opportunity to shine. Um, and he seems to have, have taken that with both arms. And, and I wish him all the best, you know, if he does go to Luton, I wish him all the best. And, and that he can rekindle his career down there because it's never nice for somebody to come into a, a team. And this is probably the opposite side of the coin when we talk about signing young players at 14, 15, 16 years of age, when maybe you're taking a chance on signing players at 19, 20, 21 years of age would have gone through their growth process with their current team. It's never like it's never really very nice to see them when it doesn't work out because they're immediately branded as a failure when they're still so young that they can grow and blossom and have a career and they just need somebody to take a chance on them and fit into the right the right system and structure. And, and who knows, James Bree, we could regret selling James Bree in a couple of years' time, or we could find it, you know, looting in the championship at his level. But either way, I wish him all the best, and, you know, I hope he makes, it, he makes the best of his abilities in future years. Yeah, now, now that you say that, Neil, we'll probably regret it somehow. It'd be the most Villa thing, um, because I think he turns 23 in December. He's a 97 birthday um, that I just found. So there's still, he his peak could be when he's, say, like 28th, all players have different kind of peaks in their in their playing careers so it's kind of hard to say some come earlier than others but nonetheless we wish him uh, the best here on the Holt cast but let's get to kind of the the meat and potatoes per se um, of Villa's transfer rumor gossip and that being I'll butcher this but whatever uh, Milo Rishiska um, Verde Bremen midfield winger um, kind of a master of all I guess you could say to some people 
uh, I, I kind of call this a transfer saga uh, when tweeting on the 7,500 to hold the count. Shameless plug. Go follow us there. Um, and a lot of people kind of took that as a negative thing, saying, what's the proof? Um, does anyone know if we're actually in for him? Can we just kind of stop this rumor? If we are, just move on. He doesn't seem interested. Now, that's coming from a lot of uh, German press saying, basically, he wants the Leipzig move. He doesn't want to go into another relegation battle with Villa. Who knows if that's even true? Um, basically, the rumor is that we've met the evaluation of around 22 million pounds, I believe it is. Uh, RB Leipzig don't want to pay that. Um, and that's kind of the standstill. He wants to go to the club that won't pay it over us. That's what it sounds like. Now, a lot of people on this poll, I think there's over uh, 1,600 that voted, um, a small majority actually said uh, that they'd just rather move on. And a lot just below that said, hold on and maybe make it worth his while. Neil, where do you stand on this? Because uh, if it is true, if he'd prefer the Leipzig move, I, I don't really want him. And my whole factor on that is if you're set on one move and then you get another move, what are you doing in that other move? What's your motivation? It's just, for me, it, it's a risky move, but let me know your thoughts. Uh, paper talk. I think the the Harkins said in the Leipzig move, um, I think it could very well be the case. Leipzig were only recently, you know, trying to figure out what way their off season is going to go, considering that they were still playing in the Champions League. They were the semi final team in the Champions League. They're obviously the, you know, the, the what was the record? It was like in ten years of just being an actual club, they had achieved so much. And, and why wouldn't he want to go to Leipzig? You know, why wouldn't he want to go to Leipzig? But when you look at it, Leipzig have already spent, like the highest transfer I think ever was 26.5 million for Navi Keita. And they mm-hmm. signed him from Strasbourg, RB, RB, or sorry, not Strasbourg, um, RB Salzburg, sorry, uh, <laughs> they signed him from. So it's, uh, it's one of these things that Leipzig don't pay that money for players, but they, they get, and they get players, uh, they get players in at young age. Um, I don't think it's a case of he doesn't want to go to Aston Villa. That's just that's it's just so it's so uh, paper talk. It's so media driven. It's it's almost like pick player insert this line into into your paragraph, and it's it's very cookie cutter um, type of of reporting, and it's essentially it's it's designed for so that Villa fans will like ah look if he doesn't want to be there don't sign him. I'm not about that at all. I think that you can convince players. I think that for his, for it, it might be a case that he doesn't want to go to Aston for that, but it might be a case whereby he prefer to go to Leipzig. And like I'm a massive Aston Villa fan, but if you're talking about a team that's on the up and up and up, that has proven that they're able to build teams over the last four or five years, they've gotten to the semi-final of the Champions League. Yes, you are going to explore the opportunity of maybe them coming in with a late bid, considering that now they're just getting their feet under the table to actually attack transfers now that they're out of the Champions League and they know where they stand and they can look at this with a clear head with regards to the transfers. Uh, they may not come back in for him, but I don't think it's a case of where he's going, I'm not going to go to Aston Villa no matter what they offer me. I think he's giving it time and he's giving his, his uh, negotiation team or giving it time for Leipzig maybe to make one last offer because of um, the fact that they've been tied up with Champions League stuff. Um, you know, it's for me, the, the, the paper's can't have all the information when they're talking about transfers. They just no. can't because stuff like this happens all the time. And why does every transfer story follow the same path? And then I think for for uh, I suppose for fans to kind of go, oh, he doesn't want to be here. 
move on, move on to the next person. No, I think that that's that's wrong. Otherwise, then you'll never get the player you like. You you never get maybe a player that you might not get. You'll never win a race. What's the point of bidding for players if if other teams are bidding for them? So you know, obviously, we have to look at it that RB Leipzig are in a better position than Aston Villa. They're in a better position off the field. They're in a better position on the field. They're in a they're in a uh, you know a better light in the media. They're in a better light with other fans. People know about RB Leipzig. They're on the up and up. And I think that uh, just because he has he's holding out for maybe a move to RB Leipzig doesn't mean that he's completely against Villa and he's going to be a complete another mercenary and just come to us and take the money and sulk for five years while he's here at his contract while he, while he gets a contract with us. It could be the case of that he does decide to come to us and he balls out too and he plays really well. So it's never that cut and dry. It's never a case of screw him, he doesn't want to come here. And you 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 know you throw the baby with the bathwater. Otherwise, if you're going to have that attitude, you're going to be really disappointed about who we're going to get. You know, you're going to be really disappointed about who we're going to sign. And if it's only a case of we're only signing people who have their heart only set on going to Aston Villa and no one else, then you're going to be disappointed because there aren't too many players out there that have that kind of view. Whereby there's only one club they want to go to, and that's it. It's it's a closed deal. There's no one else can bother even bidding for him. There's always going to be players, no matter who you buy, they're always going to have their eye on. And then if this other club comes in, yes, I'd, I'd actually prefer to go there. That's just my thoughts on it. I would sign him. I'd, I still think for the for the right this one out to the death until he chooses a team that he wants to play for. And if no other team matches the valuation, you know, it's up to Villa to convince him that this is the right project for him. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I think it's one of those things, and a lot of people have to remind themselves, because you can kind of go into like a deep hole when you're reading transfer gossip. A lot of it's just clickbait. They just want you to basically look for views for them to make money. And I think a lot of people kind of lose sight of that the deeper they go into the the proverbial kind of rabbit hole, um, as you will. It's just one of those things. Like the next one here I had to talk about, and you would be uh, apparently, according to Alan Nixon, Villa are going to test Celtics resolve with a 30 million pound bid for uh, forward Edson Edouard. Um, It's another one where, like, this one did come out of the blue not too long ago. Uh, a lot of people are saying, heck yes, would be the uh, one of the perfect players. Still young, still has a lot to prove. If, you know what, I think he's only 22. If he kind of stays for a few years and we sell him for even more, kind of fits that profile as well. Plays center forward and can play on the right wing as well. Uh, predominantly in the middle, I should say. Um, but honestly, he hasn't moved from PSG, I think, too long ago. I think it was, what, July 1st of 2018. Um, Celtic, if they do sell him, they're making one heck of a profit. I think they got him for maybe under a couple million, if I'm um, reading that correctly. It, it, it's another one where a lot of people look at this one, too, and go, oh, well, why would we want someone from the, the Scottish League? They're, that's like League One standard. Like Celtic, okay, maybe their championship standard. Why would we want one of their strikers? And in my opinion, y- you can't really judge a player until he's in the situation for your team to kind of prove himself wrong. I think that's what with any transfer with any player we've had in the past, everyone jumps on their backs too quickly and judges them off after the first pass or kick of the ball. This one, there's not really much behind him statistically in terms of a a long resume of success and proven goal scoring that you'd uh, kind of light the world on fire for. But nonetheless, it's an interesting signing. So, Neil, uh, what are your thoughts on it? Do you think there's any kind of truth to it? And yeah, uh, let me know. I think there is some truth to it. Um, I absolutely do. Um, I'd be blown away by the signing. I think it'd be fantastic. 
uh, once again, crazy, crazy knee-jerk reaction from people that say, oh, he plays in Scotland, can't be that good, you know, and then they rattle off uh, players that have maybe failed to come down here and fail to fail to score goals after scoring in Scotland. John McGinn, we, who did anybody give out about the fact he played with, with uh, Hibs and came down and hit ground running with Aston Villa straight away. Um, this guy's a good player. He scored 11 goals in six games for French under-21s. Uh, he's scoring at a level, at an international level, uh, you know, con- consequent of his peers, at an unbelievable rate. He's always scored goals at an unbelievable rate at international level, at uh, his age group. Like the French under-17 team, he scored 15 goals in 12 games. I know that's under-17, but, you know, he's playing against people of his peers, of his own age group. He's always scored goals. Um, the biggest thing I find about him is that he's he's more mobile than Wesley uh, up front. He's going to get more well, kind of kind of nastier goals than Wesley. Uh, obviously, he's got a, a record of scoring more goals than Wesley. He's 22 years of age, as you mentioned, and he scored uh, 40 goals in, uh, in in 60 appearances for Celtic. Like that's a great record for somebody so young, you know. Mm-hmm. And Celtic have played in European competitions. Yes, they they're playing a poor league up there. That league is is poor enough, but just because the league is poor doesn't mean that this guy doesn't have what it takes. You still need to score goals. You still need to put the ball in the back of the net. And I, I think that his, his record, when you take take him out of the Celtic side of things, and even at that, he scored goals in Europe. Um, as Eduardo scored goals in Europe against high-caliber high opposition, but he scored goals as well at his peer group at an alarming level. And that, for me, is a good, is a good barometer for, for a player like that. Um, he's got the height. He's got the pace. He's uh, he's boat-footed. You know, you've seen him score goals with both his feet. And um, you know, I don't think we're in the position to turn our nose up at a striker who's got a 66%. Uh, sorry, who's uh, scored in 66% of the games that he's ever played for Celtic. You know, so yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's I, I think it's pretty much it's pretty much a no-brainer. And look, we have to come into the real world as well. 30 million is the going rate for a striker. At this rate, it is the going rate for a striker. You see, Joel 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 or whatever his name is for for Newcastle. You know, signed him from Schalke. Didn't have the same record that um the the Edward would have had with 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 Celtic. But you know, they signed him for a lot of money. If you could get uh, Edward for thirty million, I think that's very very good. And I think that it's something that we can work towards. Remember, we signed uh, Wesley for twenty two from from uh, the Belgian league, which is. Probably on a par with the Scottish League. Um, yeah. So I think I, I I don't I don't basically what I'm trying to say is I don't buy that the league dictates the level of the player. I think that you have to you have to disassociate both of them. And also when you look at the transfer, and um, if you're going to start playing with the big boys and sit at the big boys table, 30 million is a re- is a reasonable or 35 million is a reasonable number to to pay for for a striker that may score 10 15 goals for us next season. Yeah, exactly. And the funny thing is, Neil too is. His goal scoring record in the short term from a first team level is very impressive. A lot of people can look at the short term and say, well, that's a very small sample size and they'll kind of go off that bias. But if you look at, obviously, like you said, if you look at Wesley, like people didn't bat an eyelid at assigning him. They thought, okay, a young, um, hungry striker, he can grow. And you know what? If we sell him on for so many odd million, that's a great bit of business. If he stays and he's a success for the rest of his career, that's even better. Now, you're only paying, we'll say, what, like another seven or eight million more than Wesley, and his record is way better. And like you said there, you probably look at the SPL as probably an equivalent um, to the Belgium League. It, 
but in my eyes, it's a no brainer. So to those people that have an issue with it, I mean, you can let us know if you want, but I, I don't know how you can kind of argue against it. But nonetheless, um, let's move on to some goalkeeper goalkeeper news, because that's been a hot topic um, since basically Heaton went down. And of course, Rena has uh, officially joined, I believe it was Lazio in a two year deal. I think that happened on Sunday, as that being yesterday. Um, so the whole debate basically with Heaton is apparently he's going to come back around the October international break. Um, so we have a little bit of a gap of what do we do here? Uh, Jasper Sillison uh, from Valencia looks to be linked as well. Greg Evans was reporting that. Um, a few others have kind of been hit and miss uh, possibilities as well. But, Neil, what do you think we should do here? Do we go with one of our keepers that we already have? Do we go with Nyland or do we go with Steer? Obviously, Kalinic just isn't a possibility in my eyes. But, like, in my opinion, I think you go with Steer. The guy deserved it. He got injured. It wasn't really fair on that part. And I, I think he's a good enough backup. So for a month or so, why wouldn't he be a good enough starter? I'm torn uh, between this and I don't... Like, I could wake up tomorrow and have a completely different view on this. At the moment, I come down on the side of we're going to need another goalkeeper anyway. So I think that we go with another goalkeeper. I don't think our Nealand is, uh, is the answer. Uh, Jed Steer quite possibly could be, but he's never played a game in the Premier League. So uh, for me, I can't I can't say that. Um, I, I, I really... I think that it's important that we need to get off to a good start over the first four or five weeks. And having a goalkeeper that can command the, the back four, the kid is, is uh, comfortable in our crosses and won't cost us games, you know, over the first four games. It's going to be very important that we get off to a good start uh, this year because... You know, we have uh, we have one or two fixtures at the at the early part that we can kind of almost ease ourselves into this league. That's kind of disrespectful to the two or three teams that we play first. The way I meant, uh, the way I said it, but I don't really mean it that way. Put it this way: we got a lucky break that we don't play Man City first. It's kind of what I'm saying. One hundred percent. We get a couple of a couple of good results. You know, Sheffield United. I think Burnley, uh, Fulham. You know, I think that's that's who we have in our first couple of games. If we get a um, a, a good few results there, you know, that could be pivotal towards uh, where our season goes. Remember at the start of last year, Sheffield United, you know, their early season form was very good and it gave them a good platform for the rest of the year. And I don't want us to, you know, maybe settle for a goalkeeper that might be the difference between a win and a draw, or might be the difference between a draw and a, and a loss, you know, those first few games and put ourselves behind the eight ball again. So at the moment, as I say, I kind of flip-flop between this at the moment, I would be all for bringing in a goalkeeper. I was a bit disappointed that Pepe Reina went to went to Lazio. I think that you know signing him, he did play very well in the run-in. And I think signing him was just something I kind of almost expected to just happen, you know. But obviously, he wasn't comfortable with being second fiddle to Tom Heaton after Tom Heaton comes back. And uh, you know, but I have to obviously take that in the chin and move on and see if there's someone that they can find. So at the moment, I think, as I say, I'm for bringing in another goalkeeper to start the year. And um, I don't think that it's been spend massive money on it, but I'm, uh, I'm for bringing in another goalkeeper to start the year for sure. It's, it's really strange, though, because Lover Kalnic is the one for me. It's the enigma for me. I always thought that that was a no-brainer. <laughs> like, looking at him play for Croatia, I always thought it was the no-brainer kind of signing that he would be really good, but just hasn't been, you know, and it's a kind of a head-scratcher for me. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, what move they take on that side and, and, and who they sign or if they end up going with, the, with, uh, with somebody they have in-house already. But um, 
for me, I will be trying to sign somebody and I will be trying to sign somebody uh, to, you know, to push Tom Heaton. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because I think on another goalkeeper coming in, it's probably going to depend um, as to who's going out. Uh, because if you're bringing in another keeper to say even be a backup uh, to le- say a younger keeper to learn from Tom Heaton and come in there um, and kind of learn the craft for whenever he decides to move on, retire, whatever, that's going to be five goalkeepers that are arguably, you could say, our first team. So uh, it's going to be an interesting one. I think it's going to probably depend on one or two of those moving out. Um, I never would have thought I would have said it, but uh, Villa have too many goalkeepers. Um, and that was a major issue a few seasons ago. But uh, we'll go with the last little bit of uh, transfer gossip here before we wrap things up. And that being Atletico Madrid's... Uh, Kyrian Trippier. Um, I, I don't really know how this came about, but the Telegraph are reporting that uh, Villa have them or have him on their radar, I should say. Um, kind of out of the blue yesterday, uh, being at Sunday especially. Uh, I wouldn't be um, objective to having him join the club by any means, but Neil, a bit of an odd one, isn't it? Uh, I think it's it's your stereotypical find English player playing abroad in sort mid-range team uh, as as a as a target for him. Um, you know, I think that's what it is. I'd be delighted if Kieran Trippier uh, signed for Villa. He's a good player. He's a really, really good player. And I think that, you know, he's bombed out there at, at Spurs. And I think at times last year, Spurs would prefer to have him at right back than to have Serge Aurier. You know, so uh, I take him. I, do I think it, the possibility of us getting him is there? I certainly don't. Um, but... Uh, it does. It smacks of media, the media um, a journalist spots a player playing abroad, inserts middle range team, and then tries to make a story of it for me. But uh, yeah, Kieran Trippier is a good player. He would definitely be be nailed on starter right back for Aston Villa. But I just don't see that one happening at all. I think that's pure fabrication in my mind. Yeah, I think it's kind of weird too. He's what 29 now, um, and I think he'll be. Th- 30 if I'm wrong at September now that I'm looking at it um, so probably doesn't fit the profile I can't believe actually he's that old to me he's still like 24 for some odd reason um, but uh, like awesome right back he would fit the team to a T he would improve that side it would be amazing competition um, between him and Elmo um, among others and I, I can't remember the other right back's name for all of a sudden oh my god I'm having a nightmare Neil help me Bear. out Gilbert, <laughs> that is the biggest podcast nightmare I've ever had in my life. But uh, everyone knows what I mean. Um, yeah, it, it, it does. It does offer um, a different aspect to it. But like you said, I think it's just I want to know what generator they use to make up these transfer rumors because it's something very glitchy and wacky. But I, I, I can, just like I said before, I can't see it happening. Uh, maybe it's just a uh, player wants to leave, come back to England. So insert this club or this club or this club because he's probably not going to get a move back into the top four so it could be something like that who knows um he's playing for a very uh, decent athletical outfit right now so would he even want to leave there as it is i think it's just one of those things like i said earlier on the podcast it's just looking for gossip and clickbait news. But anyways, guys, let's wrap it up there. Uh, thank you very much to Neil for joining me uh, this evening to discuss things Aston Villa related. Of course, if you want to check Neil out on Twitter, you can find him at Love McGrath Pod. If you want to check out us 
on Twitter. It's at 7500 to Holt, or you can email us at HoltCastPod at gmail.com. If you want to find me on Twitter, it's at TalkAstonVilla. But all together, we make up the Holtcast. And don't forget, guys, up the villa. Thank you.